The Real War. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sermon of Sunday, September 26, 2021, from Christ Church, Jerusalem. As we celebrate the Feast of Michael and all the angels, we reconsider the fundamental nature of the spiritual conflict that believers face. The devil is first and foremost a deceiver and has convinced many in our generation that God is nothing more than a pious myth and that the message of Jesus is irrelevant. By holding to the testimony of Jesus, we expose such lies, not only by our words, but also through committed discipleship that emphasizes keeping God's commandment, loving our enemies, and supporting others in the community of faith. We begin with the lectionary readings. The first reading is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 7 to 17. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the world, the whole world, astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of his brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading this morning is taken from the letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 9 to 21. Loving action. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, "It is mine to avenge; I will repay," says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel portion is taken from the book of Mark. Please stand with me. As many of you know, in the synagogue. When it's time to read God's direct revelation from the Torah, the people stand, and so it has been in the church for centuries that, in honor of the words that Jesus speaks by way of direct revelation, we stand as a matter of honor to Him. Mark chapter nine, beginning with verse thirty-eight. Teacher said John, "We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us." Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can, in the next moment, say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I say to you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, he went on, those who believe in me to stumble. It would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck, and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter the, enter life crippled than to have two feet. And be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves, and be at peace with each other. The Gospel of the Lord. Someone told me I needed to have more jokes in my sermon and talk <laughs> talk about the devil. It's a little hard, <laughs> but I'll try. <laughs> but let's pray. So, Father in heaven, we do come to you as your children. As your children who are caught up in a a war, in a conflict that we did not always understand, we indeed pray that、uh, not only would you protect us, 
but that you would give us great discernment. And Lord, that you would train our fingers, train our hands for war and for combat. Lord, so that we may resist the devil and that he will flee from us. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as you can see from the liturgy, we are celebrating a few days early, uh, feast day, feast of Michael and uh, all angels. And the purpose of this feast, at least in an Anglican tradition, is uh, not that we're glorifying angels, not that we're praying to angels, not that we're trying to figure out, you know, the whole structure of of uh, angelology. Um, surely none of this should lead to speculation. But for us this morning, I think it's a good opportunity to remind ourselves, yes, about the, a world of conflict uh, and a world of war in the heavenlies, yes, and here on earth, that uh, oftentimes we can, um, I think, misunderstand, ignore, or take an approach that might be m magical or even superstitious. And I suppose the best place to start is to remind ourselves that um, our image of, of an angel uh, is shaped by popular culture, and popular culture has turned these angels into cute, fluffy little cotton balls, um, usually infants, who are um, harmless, but surely must be somehow charming. And angels, um, according to the Bible at least, do not have wings, and they are at times warriors, as we read in Revelation chapter 12. So Feast of Michael or Saint Michael, depending upon your tradition, again points to a war that took place in heaven and is now being um, fought uh, on, on the earth. And that collateral damage or the collateral damage of the war is certainly something that uh, we can see all around us. Now, oftentimes in Western Christianity, as well as in uh, recent uh, Western uh, intellectual academic tradition, yes, the idea of angels, demons, the idea of a, some kind of a spiritual conflict that, uh, that happens uh, in an unseen world has uh, been relegated, you might say, to the dustbin of history, or it's a subject of anthropology or um, sociologists. Uh, and oftentimes, that uh, unfortunately, that view has uh, seeped into the church and uh, times many times in many places, we have minimized, yes, the importance of this conflict that's going on around us. And many of us who do uh, recognize 
as the source of evil, the place of, uh, you might say, warfare and conflict, can, in recent years, have approached this in a very dangerous and even superstitious way. And so we have uh, two extremes. One extreme that ignores it, and a second extreme that probably gives too much prominence to it, uh, that is titillated or fascinated by the speculation. And uh, in the past, we've spoken about the dangers of spiritual mapping, of trying to figure out which demon controls which country and which demon controls which city and which demon controls, you know, your, your lust for chocolate cake. All right, putting writing it all down. And then the danger of, uh, you might say, inappropriate combat of uh, one person or two people deciding that they're going to bind the spirit of lust over Bangkok. And uh, in the past, you can listen to uh, podcasts from previous years, we've mentioned simply how dangerous that is. Maybe we remember the um, incident in the book of Jude. And in the book of Jude, Michael, the archangel, fights with Satan over the body of Moses. And Michael didn't come and say, look, I've got a lot of power. I'm the emissary. I'm the right-hand guy next to God. You know, Satan, you know, don't, uh, you know, mess with me. You know, Michael's words to Satan was the Lord rebuke you. Yes, I've come in the power of the Lord. I've come in the power of the Lord. And I think the reason that the Bible doesn't tell us a huge amount, tells us enough, but doesn't tell us a huge amount, is that so that we can avoid speculation that ends up being dangerous and that we do not focus on the wrong thing. And what is the wrong thing to focus on all this? Is to focus on evil and to become obsessed with evil and to try to figure out, you know, who is what is doing what and how is it happening? And in the end, we don't, uh, by doing such things, we don't practice the presence of the Lord. We don't have this peace. We don't have this courage. People become fearful and they shrink back. Yes, it, it ends up, you know, being dangerous. Uh, in the life of the believer. I think the other thing, what the other problem in all of this is that if we have the wrong focus, yes, we have the wrong answer to the problem. And here, this is where people in more modern times, yes, are focusing not always on spiritual mapping or which demon controls which city, but who is in charge? Yes, surely there's a conspiracy. Surely it's the right wing, the left wing, the Trump supporters, the corporations, the woke people, um, the Jews, the Masons. Somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody's got to be running things. There has to be a reason why things are going downhill. Yes, and then when we focus on that, we end up, yes, 
coming to a dead end. And not only do we come to a dead end, we ultimately um, don't have God's perspective and the, and the problems don't get solved. In Revelation 12, in all three of our readings, I think say something very practical, if not very hard to us, yes? Revelation 12, it's tr- read traditionally on this feast day. It's Michael throwing the angel, throwing Satan out of heaven. Uh, the people will always ask the question, it, did this happen or is it going to happen in the future? I think from the text, from the text that it happens at the ascension of Jesus. It happens when Jesus is exalted after his death and resurrection. Yes, after the victory that he wins uh, over Satan by giving himself um, over as a lamb to, to be slaughtered. So at the exaltation of Jesus, yes, um, there is the introduction of this dragon. This dragon is red. We come back to that in a moment. This dragon um, has uh, seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. So the dragon will be uh, a deceiver in that it will always try to imitate, yes, what uh, imitate Jesus so that people ultimately will focus on the dragon or worship the dragon. It will try to take people away uh, from God the Creator and His Son. And then the war in heaven breaks out. Um, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. You can just imagine the scene. I'm sure it was like something out of Lord of the Rings. Um, But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, who leads, here's the main characteristic here of the devil, he leads the whole world astray. Yes, that he's a deceiver. And I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Yes, now has come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Wow, there's a defeat for this. You might breathe a sigh of relief. Yes, Satan has been defeated. And um, before you catch your breath, and get too relaxed, it goes on to say, they overcame him, meaning the brethren, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So Satan has been thrown down from this heavenly place, but he's thrown down to earth, and somehow he's corralled. Yes, or he's, he's, you might say, uh, confined to earth. And uh, the believers, the faithful, the followers of Jesus, they're not uh, somehow caught in a crossfire. All of a sudden, they become, we become participants in this war. We're now combatants, and we are now in a fight with evil. 
and in fight with Satan, which is sobering enough. But I think what's important in all of this is how do we fight? How do we respond? How do we defend ourselves? And when we and when I try to answer some of these questions, it's not simply about, oh, I want to defend myself from the devil. I want my family to be protected. I don't want uh, anything malicious to happen to me. And of course, that's a very good and natural thing to want. But there's something else at stake here, and that's the kingdom of God. Yes, God uh, at this moment yes, is working to establish his kingship amongst people to take control of the lives of his creation, to then bring healing and salvation and restoration and repentance. And Satan is trying to stop him. And that's ultimately our fight. It's not just a fight for our own well-being and, you know, for our own personal, um, you know, safety. But there's something a lot more at stake. And so... Here are the weapons in which we fight. We fight, we over, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Yes, they overcame Satan, yes, because they appropriated the victory that Jesus won, yes, by giving himself and being led like a, as the lamb to the slaughter, yes, and by their, their testimony, the, um, they're um, making, and in this sense, it's probably making a verbal confession of what happens to them. They did not love their lives. They did not shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, and he knows that his time is short. And so we have a paradox here. On one hand... We have a victory, and on the other hand, people are paying with their lives. We go down later, it says, talks about this woman who is the mother of the Messianic community or the Christian church, this woman who gave birth, yes, uh, to, to, uh, to the community, is brought into the desert, and on one hand, she's protected by God. And yet, on the other hand, people are being killed. And people are being killed and martyred for their faith. Roger's going to say something about this uh, a little bit later when he talks about his recent experience of uh, going to Jordan and visiting Iraqi re refugees, Christian refugees, um, who had to flee uh, because of uh, because of ISIS, and then it, it goes on to say, um, this woman went. Uh, the dragon went off to make war at the. Uh, the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Who is the offspring of these women? Listen to this. They are those who obey God's commandment and commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Those are the, they obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. 
And here I think we learn not only what it means to belong to the Lord, yes, but how are we going to fight in this spiritual warfare? Now, I don't want to sound um, dismissive of the role of exorcism. Or in our tradition, sometimes we use holy water or the uh, prayer of uh, prayers of uh, of, uh, of uh, what, what shall we say confession declaration yes um, making a public stand against Satan all of these things have their place yes but they're no substitute they're no substitute yes for the word of our testimony. And the preparation or the willingness, yes, for us to give our lives as Jesus did. And what does it mean they hold to the testimony of Jesus? Because what this really, what this encapsulates is faithful discipleship. Yes, our weapon, you might say our weapon, our weapon, the weapons of our warfare. Yes. It's not just saying the blood of Jesus or Satan, I cast you out, or throwing away our Led Zeppelin records because they might have some, you know, secret demonic message. That was a big theme of my youth, yes? But living faithfully and holding to the testimony of Jesus. Not saying, oh, Jesus is Lord. Not simply saying, Uh, I want to tell you about how Jesus set me free from nicotine, but actually living in a way that Jesus lived. And if we do that, we end up exposing, yes, we end up showing how impotent or how powerless are are the ideologies of our age and the idols of our age. And the futility of, of self-gratification, right? The futility of immorality or the futility of greed. And if we live and speak in such a way, and we can't speak about these things unless we live it, we live and speak in such a way, it will bring about opposition. But it not only, but it, more than that, This is, you might say, and it's an appropriation or it's a continuation of the victory that Jesus wins. Jesus wins a victory not only on the cross, but the victory also came in the the life that he lived, the way that he lived, yes, the way that he loved, the way that he gave gave himself selflessly. And so that's where we start. We want to... Uh, we are, we're aware that there's a war, a dangerous war, against an invisible enemy. The enemy may be invisible, but the damage is all around us. We li- it's faithful discipleship, the willingness to be, to be martyrs. And part of being a faithful disciple, yes, is endurance. Because at the end of chapter, th- in the middle of chapter 13, 
It says, uh, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he will be killed. I have some friends who say, oh no, this, this is not about the church. This is about, you know, this is a, the, the church has been raptured. We're all safe from these things. This is, the, this is just going to happen to the believers and, you know, who uh, come to faith after the, uh, the Antichrist comes to power. But my dear friends, the only people who say that and the only ones who talk like that are people from the Western world, yes, those of us who lived in security and prosperity. Talk to anyone from Nigeria or people from the Congo or people who survived the Soviet gulags for their faith. Yes, and uh, these verses are very relevant. And yes, we as believers will suffer. We will be persecuted. We will be misunderstood. Some of us will give our lives for the faith, and that is part of the war. And then John goes on to say, this calls for patient endurance, faithfulness on part of the saints. Yes, being faithful, yes, not um, becoming overwhelmed or afraid, not deserting, not shirking our duty, yes, but enduring, persevering, and being faithful. And of course, that faithfulness comes with God's help. Now, the passage in Romans is also equally important. Because many times, we as believers, we can take this spiritual conflict and we can misapply it. Yes, we fight against powers and principalities. But at the same time, yes, people who we think are our enemies are not demons. And they're not the devil. And they're not to be demonized. And they're not, we're not to oppose them using violence. I think this is a very, very important message in which, in the time in which we live. Because in many Western countries, yes, uh, one time we had a low tolerance for violence solving our political problems. But more and more people are becoming frustrated. And in their frustration, they're looking for a scapegoat. And they're going to point to, you know, they're going to point to this group or that group. Again, they, some, some groups like the, the international elite. The international elite, they're controlling the world. They're trying to bring some new world order. Believe me, dear friends, there will never, ever be a new world order. The only new world order will, that will come about is when Jesus comes back. In the meantime, I don't care what anybody writes or thinks or plans, it will, we will continue with the old world disorder, yes, of murder and idolatry and greed and human division, yes, and divisiveness of one ethnic group against them. You can be sure of all that. But how, 
How are many people, especially believers, how are they going to engage in this fight? Well, it's going to be political. And I'm not saying politics isn't important. It is. But on the other hand, yes, the way that we look at those who oppose us, the way that we scapegoat people, the way that they become an enemy, then follows hatred, yes, then follows kind of a frustration. The only thing we can do about these people is going to have to engage in violence. Yes, this guy two years ago who shot up the synagogue and shot up the synagogue in Pittsburgh because the Jews were somehow controlling the world. And the guy was so frustrated, he couldn't take it anymore. Yes, he couldn't take it anymore. He had to go in there, you know, and somehow, you, you know, stop this, you know, one world conspiracy. But what does the book of Romans tell us? Even those who ideologically oppose us or oppose us practically, Paul gives some very, very good advice. It's practical advice. And we can say, oh, no, it's not spiritual. No, it's very spiritual. Can't separate what's spiritual from what's physical. And his advice is simply this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Meaning don't compromise with evil. Don't toy with it. Recognize, recognize it for what it is. Yes. Be devoted to each other in brotherly love. Then it goes on to say, bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. And do not curse. Rejoice with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is, a, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. This is spiritual warfare. Yes, this is spiritual warfare. You know, it's as, it's as spiritual as saying, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Or blowing the shofar and singing some praise songs, which can be very good. But we all tend to take the easy way out. Yes. The hard way is faithful discipleship and endurance and perseverance yes. and a refusal to scapegoat people, to begin hating them, to begin blaming all our problems on these left-wingers or these right-wingers when our problem is human sin and human rebelliousness. Yes, that is aided and abetted by Satan himself. That's what has to be confronted. Thirdly, our last passage, I think, um, has an application for spiritual warfare inside the community. If the book of Revelation speaks about the way that we confront the devil and even confront the, you might say, the worldly powers or the worldly system as under the influence of Satan. And if Romans 12 talks about the, our approach to our, to our enemies and those who oppose us, the very, very tough passage in Mark, 
yes, should speak to us, yes, about the way that we, you might say, um, live as a group and live as a community. And I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's something that should be missed. I hope it's not something that is missed, that our passage comes right after the discussion of who is the greatest. Yes, they, um, it says, uh, they went to Capernaum in Mark 9. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they argued about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest? Yes, so here amongst the, the disciples, you have um, pride and self-promotion and ego, which, of course, always leads to conflict and always leads to jealousy and surely keeps the spirit of competition alive. And, of course, it's a cancer for any kind of community. And Jesus goes on, or, or they, they ask him a question in this context. Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. We told him to stop because he was not one of us. And um, again, this spirit of, I want to be special, or I want to be chosen, but nobody else can be in our group, or nobody else understands what we understand, therefore we're going to exclude you. You know, Jesus rebukes them. And that rebuke, is, which was good then, is good for us now. Because the body of Christ, the body of the Messiah, has a insane, yeah, an unfortunate, unfortunate amount of division. And it's not simply division about doctrine, although there's some of that. It's division about, I have a kingdom, and I don't want you uh, to intrude into my kingdom. Or I've built up something here, a denomination, a system, some followers, and I have to preserve these and the way that I preserve these is saying, you know, you're all wrong and we're all right. We understand the truth and you don't. And here Jesus rebukes his, his disciples, yes, um, for their pettiness and their, you might say, their inability to see God's bigger picture, to see the way that God is at work among, uh, among other people, yeah, not, I don't wouldn't take this in the, mo in the most inclusive way possible, but other people who, you know, recognize the authority of Jesus, other people who might be, in our context, Roman Catholics or Greek Orthodox or, you know, Presbyterians, yes, that God is at work through them and that the kingdom is advancing through them. And what gives an opportunity and a place for the devil, yeah, according to Ephesians chapter 4, is division and backbiting and jealousy. So if we want to 
preserve, you might say, or safeguard ourselves uh, from the deception of the devil or the influence of uh, the demonic, well, it's not only being faithful in our discipleship, it's not only making sure that we love our enemies and bless those who persecute us and not to demonize them, but it's here, it's to guard and watch the unity of the body of the Messiah. But there's something even more dangerous, equally dangerous. Jesus goes on to say, you know, uh, after uh, uh, saying, uh, no one does a miracle in my name, can in the next moment say something bad about me. Whoever is not against us is for us. I'll tell you the truth. Anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. So Jesus is encouraging us to nurture each other, help each other, provide for each other. We have some of that in Romans chapter 12. And so here we have the inclusive Jesus. Yes. Um, And today we've uh, painted uh, Jesus to be um, very tolerant and somewhat hip, uh, welcoming everybody, you know, not turning anyone away, hanging out with tax collectors, hanging out with uh, Pharisees. I'm not, I'm not sure he was hanging out with prostitutes, but that's a popular image. You know, today we've included gays and, you know, hell's angels, motorcycle people and um, any small persecuted minority we can think of. You know, we want to welcome and be inclusive. And Jesus is inclusive in that way. But he goes on to say the following If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone around his neck. Yes. Jesus is inclusive, and he's so 21st century. But at the same time, yes, Jesus is a sin-fearer. And Jesus understands a sin-fearer is a first-century Jewish category of a sage or a teacher, yes, who emphasize the danger of sin, the destructiveness of sin. Yes, everybody can be welcomed into our community. But at the same time, yes, we have to put away sin. At the same time, Jesus welcomes a woman who commits adultery, but he sends her away saying, go and sin no more. And here he warns us as believers, yes, not to do anything that's going to cause one of us to stumble in a serious way, not to entrap one another, not to uh, cause someone to enter enter a life of addiction or enter a life of of, uh, of sin in one way or another. And he warns us, yes, of how dangerous this is. Sin for Jesus is radioactive. Jesus will walk into Chernobyl to save somebody. 
but he doesn't sit down and have a dinner in the middle of the, you know, the nuclear reactor. And of course, sin gives place to the devil. And sin destroys a community, not only hurts the members, but of course, as we said last week, there's probably no such thing as a victimless sin. Sin is destructive. And here we come back to faithful discipleship. Yes, in chapter 12 of Revelation, yes, some things are worth dying for. And it is worth dying, yes, for our witness and testimony to to Jesus. If that occasion ever, if we ever have to make that choice. Most of us, thankfully, don't have to make such a choice. But all of us have to die to self, yes? There has to be self-denial. And Jesus says in this passage, yes, in order to preserve, yes, the unity of the body, you know, that very often, yes, we will simply, we will have to deny ourselves in order to make sure that others aren't entrapped or fall into sin or fall away, you know, from discipleship. And then, of course, Jesus ends the passage where we just ended. He said, be at peace with yourself. Be at peace with one another. Again, I can't emphasize how deadly it is for us as a community in this spiritual warfare, not to be unified and to be fighting together, but to be fractured and divided and spending lots of time, yes, shooting at each other instead of focusing on, yes, God's kingship and the way that can be expanded in our lives and the lives of those who are not yet in the community. I think all of this, I hope, points to not only the serious nature of the war that we have, but also helps us in a practical way. Yes, helps us practically. We are at war. We don't know lots of details about the war because God has chosen not to tell us much. We know that Jesus has the ultimate victory. Yes, when that devil is thrown down in chapter 12 of Revelation, it's not his final defeat. He's only defeated in chapter 20. We have the, Jesus has the final victory and we can participate in that victory. Yes, participate in that victory. Again, through faithful discipleship, keeping to the commands of Jesus, which I think are beautifully summarized for us in Romans 12. And remembering, yeah, you know, the dangers of sin and being willing to strengthen and build, uh, build each other up. You know, Paul, when he t- talks about um, the full, putting on the full armor of God to resist the devil, he ends with a line or a phrase that I don't think that many of us pay much attention to. He says um, in verse 18 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, he says, pray in the Spirit, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert, again, spiritually, 
And always keep on praying for the saints. Always keep on praying for the saints. Persevere in our prayers for each other, right? So that we may ultimately resist the devil, remain faithful disciples. Yes, remain faithful in our discipleships and hold to the testimony and the commandments of Jesus. Lord, we uh, are, um, as your children, sometimes so unwise and uh, sometimes we're naive. And Lord, uh, sometimes we are not discerning. But I pray that um, for us as a community, that indeed you would make us discerning. And Lord, we pr- I pray that in the face of the opposition, so much opposition that we face as your children and your community in this place where we live, pray that um, you would give us the gift of courage so that we will not be afraid. And give us a good understanding, yes, or a good appreciation of those things that we have that will indeed bring defeat to the devil and allow for your kingdom to be expanded locally and regionally and internationally. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.